0: Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we're talking about the future of the industry. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher.
1: I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. It seems there's always a reason for people to worry, and our hobby isn't immune. So this week, we're going to talk about the most common concerns people have with the future of tabletop gaming and why those concerns may or may not be worth stressing
2: about. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake. Also, thank you to our newest patrons. I've mentioned a couple of you. I missed a couple of you. So we're just going to the last three new patrons. Monica Witchman, which I'm pretty sure I've missed you for two weeks. Uh, Joe Romero, which we talked about last week. And our newest is Michael27 not Michael 26, not Michael 28. I'm still waiting for those Michaels, but Michael 27. Also, do not Michael Y2 because that's a completely different Michael. They both exist in our Discord. Uh huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. So, I changed the beginning intro. I took out the on topic, but I Fletcher know. could not actually read it without saying it.
0: <laughs> well, so when you said I changed the intro, I thought you were talking about Kitty's intro and not my intro. So when I was going through it, I I saw tabletop game talk, and it just out of my mouth came on topic, and I was like, oh, "It's actually it's not really there.
2: hard." Yeah. Um. Episode three hundred one. I gotta I gotta shake it up a little bit. So, but like two hundred and uh, I don't know one hundred and seventy episodes ago, we changed to on topic and Kickstarter edition, and we dropped doing the Kickstarter edition. But we never dropped the on topic. So I'm like, all right, 301. We did do the
0: board role playing games.
2: Yeah. And so now it's just, no. And then we were going to do that at specific times. And that intro was all messy. So now we're just dropping it. But then Fletcher's also going to add in the title of the episode for his part. So um, yeah, welcome to 301. Any chance you guys listened to episode 300? Uh,
0: I mean, I was there for it.
2: Uh, Uh huh. Can he say the same thing? Yeah, episode 300, for those who actually listen to our show, was a little different. Uh, 300 was cursed. I'm pretty sure it was cursed. Because we recorded on a Sunday night. And of course, I waited until the very last minute to do the <laughs> editing and stuff. So at 1 o'clock, uh, o'clock a.m., Monday night, Tuesday morning, I'm going to put all the tracks together and everything's good. And I put in my memory card. And I see the folder on the memory card. Where the file should normally exist, and there's no file there, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I just need to on your and memory card put it in again on my memory card this
1: this is your problem, okay because okay. I'm sitting over problem. here like, oh no, I'm using the same mic setup I did last time, and it was new. Do I need to fix it
2: no i I changed the mic setup on mine. I was recording at my other computer with my other so I, we, I use a Zoom H6. Um, Kitty has an H4. Fletcher has some podcasts. We, we all have Zooms, right? And, and it works. They n- w- normally work great. And I've used the other Zoom at my other desk multiple times, and it worked fine. This time, though, it just didn't save a file. Not a project file, not an audio file, <laughs> nothing. Nice. So I'm like, okay, all right, no problem, we did hit record on the backup, for, on, on the Zoom backup. So I can I can pull that file, no problem. So I went to Zoom and I went to say, okay, I'm going to download the, the file I backed up. And I click on it and it downloads a file from March. We're not in March.
1: <laughs>
2: nope. It's labeled almost correctly. It's labeled as if it was two days prior, which I think was actually right. But it wasn't downloading that file. So I'm like, okay, now I don't have any backup audio. Your guys' audio was fine. And so at this point, I'm just like, I, I'm double checking everything. I'm, and I'm just like, okay, I guess we just don't have an episode 300. I guess I just record something saying, oops, sorry, lost. No 300. Then I went to the internet, though. And I'm our, like, okay, our there's got to be a <laughs> way. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what happened where it was just like, not, uh... So, yeah, so I went to the Internet saying, OK, missing Zoom, because I thought maybe Zoom just ran out of space and never told me that, no, you can't keep recording because you don't have any space left. So, um, yeah, so I went to the Internet and then they started talking about this online admin portal. So I logged into that and I found all the files, which was great. I'm like, ah, oh, it's recorded and I download it. And if you download, if you record Zoom locally, it automatically defaults to recording everyone in their own audio track. Well, not when you record it in the cloud. Apparently, when you record in the cloud, it defaults to just recording everyone in the same audio track. Oh, so then we just all have crappy audio. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, fine. At least this makes the editing easy because now I'm just going to clip the front and the back and call it a day. But yeah, so I had to throw out your guys' audio too. So everyone was hearing a Zoom recording, essentially. Um, Sydney said it wasn't as bad as I thought, but if I compare the audio... Yeah, and then Fletcher at some point pulled out um, Fallout, the board game, and apparently we talked about it for like five minutes and never mentioned the name of the board game. So, <laughs> yeah. So the mystery game. If you're unsure that what Fletcher found in his closet during the move was Fallout, the board game. So yeah. Also, if you want to listen to us live, you can Talk dot com slash live Mondays eight thirty Central Time, where I will record the Zoom backup because. That saved our episode 300. So are Also join our Discord. Are you yep. now recording, are you now saving locally the Zoom recording? No, but I found that there's actually settings that I need to needed to tweak for the cloud. So now everything's going to record as as I expect. It'll have separate tracks and everything. Okay, so it'll be separate um,
0: tracks on cloud recording. Yes. Okay. So well, we
2: needed a failure
0: to make this work.
2: I know. And if it <laughs> wasn't going to be episode 300, then what would it have happened on, right? some other episode um but yes join our discord join our board game arena group uh let's see oh a couple other changes i made for 301 i am no longer going to promote the email address for feedback most people haven't been using it anyway and we've been using the discord for feedback so i'm going to encourage people to use discord to talk with us about episodes give us feedback or whatnot um there's the email address still exists and if you email me i'll see it eventually but Yeah, we're not going to promote it anymore. Uh, T-shirts are ordered. So if you wanted a TGTCon shirt, your time has passed. If you haven't already got one, they will never be printed again. At least not for TGTCon 1. And then Kitty, why don't you talk about the fourth thing I have on here? And I'll jump back and talk about the third one.
1: (laughs) So last week after we were recording, uh, we were discussing fantasy football and we started a DGT league. And yeah, we are we are making that happen. Um Spencer, my husband, has been an avid fantasy football player, I guess um for I' uh, know like 12 years or something. They have like a ridiculous trophy, and we were discussing Is it, like it during league? episode 300 because, yeah. It is a little bit like the league, but there's, um, I don't know, it's, they're slightly more normal, but barely. Um, so, so I was talking about, you know, I, for years I've been talking about joining a league and yeah, we, we made it happen. So, um,
2: there's 12 of us.
1: There's 12 of us. Yep.
2: Christy is our commissioner. We're drafting
1: tomorrow. Yep. I'm not prepared.
2: <laughs> Kitty, do you I follow have, football? So,
1: yeah. I'm forced to follow football because Spencer watches all the games because he is like really into fantasy football. He's in the one main league, but he's usually in I think this year he's only in one other one. He's usually in one for his work and one with another group of friends. Um, So, yeah, he watches every single game. So I'm there. I'm watching the games. I usually we used to just follow the Bears and that was like, okay. but I'm watching all of this. So I might as well care. Yeah. Have a reason to care about something going on in the game.
2: And I will say there's a lot of people that in the Venn diagram of football and board games, um there's just a very small overlap apparently. But we did get 12 people But very
1: passionate. Yeah. within we- 24 hours we had a
2: full league so we are gonna probably allude to it every once in a while but it's not we're not gonna become fantasy football talk like bga talk um but i will i will say for the same reason that kitty's getting into it is the reason i like to be in it as well i have two leagues i have one for my alumni people i used to work with we all have a league and then this one the drafts are at the identical same times Tomorrow, Tuesday night, <laughs> 8 to 10 for both of them. But they're both on NFL. So I think I should be fine there. We'll see. Um, but yeah, fantasy football is... It's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. You don't have to be overly invested. It takes maybe 20, 30 minutes. But if you if you have somebody who likes football in your life, join a fantasy football league. So It will change the way you see it.
0: If you could explain to me in, in a way, like how is this fun for you or anybody because you asked me you're like Chris sent me a text after we recorded he was like you want to join a fantasy football league and I said no thanks (laughs)
2: that's exactly what and and I'm like all right
0: I have joined a couple fantasy football leagues way in the past um and I don't follow football. I don't watch football. Honestly, I don't even understand all the rules of football. I personally find football boring to watch. I know this is anathema to like a lot of people who are into football. Um, and I just did like auto draft because I was like, I don't know who any of these players are. Um, and I like I never checked in on anything and you know, it was just kind of like I don't I didn't understand what I was doing. I don't understand what I'm looking for. I, I felt like I had no control and I was just like, this is not fun. I don't get it. Think
2: of it. What, think what's of the like game you're, part? So if you were playing a Euro game and you were just like, I'm just going to go through, I'm going to make a move. I have no idea what I'm doing or why I'm making these moves. It essentially be that same But I
0: didn't know what thing. moves even to make. What What are right. the moves to make? <laughs>
1: You Besides were basically drafting. playing a game on BGA by just clicking the highlighted options. Yes. that That's how it but goes. But I didn't
0: even click anything, right? I did autograft.
2: <laughs> well, I'm guessing you came in last. <laughs> uh, I probably did. I don't <laughs> even remember. So for those who are not in the US, when we talk about fantasy football, we are talking American football. Um, there's fantasy sports for every sport that exists as far as I know. The basic premise, and again, fantasy this is curling. just to get everyone on the same page since you asked what the game of it is.
1: I think we need to do a full episode on fantasy football at some point and give <sighs> Fletcher some more... Because con- I don't think we can cover this and our actual topic.
2: You know something? You are right. Episode 302 is on fantasy football. <laughs> yep. and And because that is a great... It's fantasy football it's, for people who don't care about fantasy football. That's that's what the topic is essentially going to be.
1: And here's the thing, Fletcher, is that when Spencer first got into it, he's like, oh, this is like an RPG for jocks. Yes. So we're, we'll sell it to you next week. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, and, and I will say... I love is, RPGs. RPG.
0: So, like, I yeah. mean, if I can just pretend all these, you know, player names I don't know anything about,
2: but, like, if I can min-max... Mm-hmm. And like I can get into it, but I don't even know what to do. It is all
1: about min-maxing.
2: And I'm going to use that as my segue, because we're going to do an episode next week on this. Um, Also, please listen to it, because we're still going to be entertaining, probably not. Um,
1: It's just us.
2: (laughs) I've introduced a new channel to um, our Discord. It's called Improv RPG. And I can probably change the channel name at some point. But the idea essentially is, uh, it just came up, we were talking about... RPGs and how some people just aren't into them, and you know, for whatever reason. And I gave an example of a situation. I'm like, Oh, now I want to play this out. I should make a Discord channel. And then someone said, Yes, do that. So now there's a Discord channel for this. So essentially, the way this works, I'm setting the scenes, and anyone can jump into the channel and say, I do this or whatever. And then I'll say the next thing that happens. And it's just going to be an ongoing storyline. There's no real system to it or anything like that. Um I might introduce a die roll every once in a while. I'll, I'll roll a die and the results will be based on that. But so far, um we're, you know, everyone was in a tavern, crazy person runs in, says, "Hey, goblins are attacking some people." And then everyone walks out. There's some some glowing red light in the north and something happening in the alley and someone's dog got hurt. Um if, not, if this sounds intriguing to you as a uh-huh, go to the BGA uh, or go to our Discord and you can catch up on the story. It's pretty easy to catch up on. And you can also participate. Anyone can participate. Just tell me what you want to do and I will interpret and let you know what's happening. I have no idea where the story is going. Uh, this, I'm DMing this like I DM anything. I have general ideas of the next few like major events that are going to happen. But wherever the players go is where the story goes. Also, you don't have to take along with what the last person said. Like if you want to split the party, by all means split the party. I'll handle whatever comes up and it'll it'll work out. So that's the Improv RPG channel if you're wondering what that is. Um, let's see. Okay. We're 15 minutes into this. Um, I was going to ask how your guys' weekends are, but.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you wanted to talk more about fantasy football. No,
2: no, you did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. We have a great (laughs) treadmill story between Fletcher and I, but that's, that's another story for another time. Long story short, Fletcher has my treadmill and I clean my basement. Nice. Join
1: the live audience if you're more curious. (laughs) You can also get tours of my haunted house.
2: Oh, yeah, we did do a haunted house tour. So, all right. So, episode 301, we are talking about the future of the industry. This is heavyweighty stuff. I'm going to give credit for this topic to Ignacy Chevichek of Portal Games. He and Stephen Bonacore do a, a podcast called Board Game Insider. At the end of every one of their episodes, they ask a question. Um, last week, Ignacy asked, what are you most worried about in the board game industry? And I had a response. And now I want to dig into that response more because there was a lot of people that were worried about a lot of different things. Um, So I did. So this is what happens every day is I shoot Kitty and Fletcher a text message that um, says, hey, the show notes are up. And then they read them about eight seconds after they connect to Zoom. So I'm assuming (laughs) you guys have not read the notes I have on here.
1: I read the notes
0: uh,
2: i did not did I'm, I'm looking at them right now <laughs> <I did.
1: laughs>
2: all right so we're, we're in good shape so what i'm going to do and i'm going to pull the audience a little bit on this too um if there's like a particular so, so the, the way this question was raised is what are you concerned with um and my response was essentially i'm not concerned about anything but i've also compiled a bunch of other concerns that other people had and why i don't think those are problems but I want to kind of get your guys's ideas. <laughs> Such a cursed thing to do, as well.
0: I compiled everything, hey. and I'm going to go through and tell them why they're wrong.
2: Exactly, 100. <laughs> that That is exactly what I did. Um, but I feel like there's reasons to be optimistic for everything, and I think you know, being pessimistic is just not a great life goal, especially in something where it's really just for fun. We do this hobby because it's fun. And <laughs> yes, we have reached beat Chris in this episode. We'll see. Let's get to the end of the episode and then we can decide. So this is in no particular order short of what I saw in the responses there. But let's just start at the top of this list. What do you guys think about shipping prices? How does shipping prices affect your life for this, this, this particular hobby?
0: Um, Fletcher? Well, since you give me all of my games... I'm not affected by shipping prices.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. (laughs)
0: Uh, I would say in general, I'm not affected by shipping prices. That I, you know, I I assume, you know, in some way, we're all affected by shipping prices. Either if we get them directly through Amazon, through the distributor, through your website, or through, um, you know, your local game store. Like, someone's paying shipping prices somewhere. So... But for me in particular, I don't actually have to pay. I don't see that like, oh, and it's going to be an extra $12 for shipping. Um, right. So for the games I buy or the games that are gifted for, to me, that, that cost is is hidden and I don't see it.
2: Yeah. What about you, Kitty?
1: Um, shipping prices mostly affect what I back on Kickstarter much more than what I purchase. So... If I'm seeing on Kickstarter shipping prices are getting a lot higher, I'm more likely to wait and see. And this might affect more of these smaller games that I see on Kickstarter, things that are not likely to make it to retail or um, games that are not going to have a big backing are probably going to be more affected by this because it is they just might not make it. If there's enough people who are turned off by the higher shipping prices, then it's not going to make it out of someone's, you know, idea phase.
2: I would agree. I think that shipping prices are a concern. Like, they are going up. They are coming back down. Like, they were really, really Mm -hmm. crazy at the beginning of this year. But they're coming back down. And this is a very contentious... um, topic on the internet, depending on who you're listening to. In reality, shipping prices have gone up across the board. But what ends up happening typically up until the beginning of this year is companies would just eat the eat the shipping costs, right? If they undercharge, then it would just eat into their profits a little bit. The problem is when it eats into your profits too much, then you have to go back to the customer and say, hey, we need to charge you more. Also, all the shipping companies, like we hear about container prices for ocean shipping. Those have all gone up. But also, so has FedEx, UPS, um, USPS. All of our, you know, the last, you know, leg of the shipping prices have all gone up as well. Uh, when I was sending out games at the beginning of the year, those prices were significantly higher than what it cost me to do last year and uh, for the same thing. So yes, shipping prices are going up. My response to this though is, sure, I am now buying less games, and I don't think that is a negative. Is um, that in, in I also,
0: response to shipping prices or just in general?
2: Partly. So like there's, there was a big, um, there's been a couple things that are like big, big games that normally in my old self, I would have bought them just because they're like the new big hotness, but I, the shipping prices on them are like 20 to 25% of the price of the game. So if the game's $400 it's a hundred dollars in shipping and I'm just like, no, Ugh. that's too much. I'm out. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so, and I think that's okay, because there's another topic on here called there are too many games. And I agree with this. <laughs> and so this is this is where being more selective about what I have shipped to me is is a good thing in my mind. I want the games that are worthy of, of me having shipped to me good. Plus, I have Amazon Prime, so everything looks free to me um, if I order it from Amazon. So there's also that. Um, I also, I do, I am one of those people that when I look, like if I go to um miniature market or um, whatever game where it's like, you know, $99, get free shipping, I'm going to spend $99 to get the free shipping as opposed to spending $40 and then spending $10 on shipping. For some reason, I'm much happier spending an extra $60 on something than $10 on shipping. Um, yeah. And it's all psychological in a way. They're making their money back because they're making that profit on that extra $60 I spent, but I'm still going to do that. And I like when companies do that. It encourages me to give them more money. And I feel less like I'm just paying for shipping. Um, also, just go to your local flags. They're paying more for shipping as well, but you know, at least it, you don't see it there. Then you just see taxes. And if you're in Chicago, those taxes can be as high as shipping is. So, also, yes, if you're not paying taxes on your shipped goods, you should. My wife is an accountant. I feel obligated to say that. Um, I will not say anything else about that. So, Fletcher, wait, are there not, too many wait. games? <laughs> <laughs> but
0: that's not... I mean, if they're not charging us tax, that's not, that's not our fault.
2: Um, no, you're legally obligated to pay state tax. They're only legally obligated to collect it if they have a physical entity in your state. But if they don't, then it's your job to pay the state tax.
0: Wait, are you saying... Yeah. But you're saying I'm pay saying tax it. on shipping, not not goods on
2: no on the item on the item that's shipped to you
0: yes yes that's yeah, correct yeah. uh sales yeah. tax in Chick-
2: chicago someone asked is like 10 and a quarter i think
0: it's 10 and a quarter percent in it's yep. the highest tax in the nation highest sales tax
2: in the nation yeah it's um yes all right so too many games fletcher are there too many games no all right kitty too many games <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 i like your comment here i read that it, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense
1: um, yeah, I'd say maybe there are too many games, but I don't think that's a problem. There's too many games for me, but there's not too many games for everyone.
2: Yeah. My comment here that Fletcher was referring to is that's like saying there are too many books. Choice isn't something to worry about. Yeah. It's or, like, fine too, many too many movies. There's too many video <laughs> yeah, games. Too many movies. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, and this it's like it goes to taste like, you know, there's so many 4x games out there set in space and i don't want to play any of them <laughs> but can there ever be too many medieval themed trick taking games absolutely not exactly. there's no such thing <laughs> you know and would chris ever pick up a single medieval themed trick taking game absolutely not you know and like the, just just cuz a game isn't for you doesn't mean it shouldn't exist
2: yeah. Now there are valid reasons. Some of the reasons that people have is there's too many games. And um so just for you guys knowing the notes, I'm rearranging things to make it a little bit more organic as we talk to them. Um Let's see a lot. OK, this is the one that is the main complaint here when people will follow up it's like, oh, but there's a lot of bad games out there. And if new players stumble upon them, they might think that games in our hobby are bad. I want you guys to respond before I respond. So, Fletcher, I'm going to let you respond to this one. So, are, are bad games bad for newcomers to the hobby?
0: I mean, yes. Just like if you've never watched movies before and you start watching bad movies, you're going to be like, I don't like this thing called movies. These are terrible. <laughs> so, like, yes. But I think newcomers to the hobby are going to be filtered through like tastemakers the you know your maybe your local game store or target or places like that like you could argue that target may have some poor games on the shelves that you would pick up but i would say they don't have any bad ones right you're not going to pick up like just a plain bad game at target because they curate their selection to a yes. particular audience and you're guaranteed like you know some type of fun. Like maybe it's this is not a game for you, but it's not going to be a bad game.
2: Kitty, what are your thoughts on this?
1: I think it's very rare that somebody just like wakes up and decides like today I'm going to get into board gaming. Right. You know, there's usually a reason or a friend. Why oh, hey. I played this game with my friend and I had a good time I'm going to go buy a copy of that game I had a fun time playing there's usually somebody who's there or you say like hey it's been a while since I bought a new board game I'm gonna go online and see what people online are saying about board games you know you're you're not just you're not gonna like, spin the roulette oh, I'm going wheel. to walk wheel. into this store And I'm not going to look at anyone or ask anyone for help or do anything. And yet we can talk about how, you know, uh, how great game stores are at recommending games to people. Um, (laughs) Cue my story about the person who recommended a game to me that was out of print at the time. (laughs) Um, But most of the time you will receive a good game, a good recommendation, or at least okay game and recommendation. It's very like, yeah, there's a lot of like maybe bad games, poorly written games, poorly designed games, games that, you know, like, but I feel like they don't get as large a print run. They don't, they're They're harder to find. Yeah.
2: They're not as likely to get into a newcomer's hands.
1: Exactly.
2: So my premise of this is everyone's played Monopoly. You can only go up from there. (laughs) So and and yes, granted, like things like Cards Against Humanity and uh, Exploding Kittens are two of the biggest mainstream games that people could get into gaming. I don't consider those part of our hobby. I might be snobby, but I don't actually consider Cards Against Humanity as a hobby game. Right? It's a party game, and it's 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 just a different. It's pretty mainstream too but it is super mainstream exploding kittens that's like a lot of people's introduction to kickstarter but the thing is people love these games they are bad like subjectively if you look at them yes i'm a gatekeeper <sighs> miles i understand this um but if you look at these games they're subjectively like there's not a lot of depth to them but you doesn't have to be give you, good to be fun
1: i give you uh, cards against humanity is not really a game. It's like an activity. Nobody keeps score. Nobody wins. But Exploding Kittens, it's maybe not a difficult or like intense, hard game, but it's a fun game. It's yeah. easy to learn, and it's easy to have fun playing. And people are playing a game. Uh, I would not call I mean, that I game I... fun,
0: but that's just... <laughs> but, it's like but That's war. my
2: point. Right, I exactly. Mean, but
1: you played better games before it. Like, if you... Like, had only played Uno, and then you pick up Exploding Kittens, you know, it's like, oh, that was more fun. And it's like, you know, a step up from pretty much anything made by Parker Brothers.
0: Exploding Kittens? <laughs> yeah. Hard, hard disagree. Hard disagree. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's it's fine.
0: It, it, it's not
1: great. It,
0: it, it is rethemed war. It is rethemed war. Yeah. So but that's okay. But it's
1: fun. I actually enjoy the war. The art is fun. <laughs> I play war with my kids all the time. It teaches them numbers. <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah. So, well, here's my point, though. The premise – the point is, yes, there are bad games out there. And they, those bad games are still going to be fun for some groups. And for the groups who don't find them fun, they're going to move on and they're going to either try something else or they're not. But if you decide to try Cars Against Humanity and say, this isn't my thing, so therefore I'm not going to play Twilight Imperium – you know, it's okay. I don't know if you're going to go directly from Car- Cars Against Humanity to Twilight Imperium anyway, but you should. So, uh, Flux. Flux has just been brought up, has mainstream appeal. Some people hate Flux. Other people love it. Because it's, it me. It's, it's me. It's so- me. I don't like Flux. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of... So, again, I'm going to say the gatekeeping gamers, we don't like Flux. We don't like Munchkins. We don't like Cars Against Humanity. Like, these mainstream games we don't we tend not to enjoy those we've, we've gone past those but there is a purpose for them in the game in the hobby and i think that that's okay and then people can be introduced to other things now one thing that i will say is if you come into the hobby with you know with munchkin as your intro and then you expect all games to be take that you know chaos fests you're gonna be have a different taste in games i think
1: but I think, yeah, like, it's just about taste. Because, like, if you also look at, like, Splendor is a really, like, you know, entry-level, easy to teach, easy to learn, you can pick it up at Target kind of a game. I like Splendor. And I like a lot of games that, you know, Splendor leads into, you know, like that it makes it easier to then play Century uh, or some of, you know. And even there's, Azul, there's
2: honestly, things like that. Azul,
1: yeah. yes. Any kind of game that, like, leads off of that, you know, something where, um, you know, even if you look in, at it, like, Viticulture, you know, you can get there from Splendor. Like, there's these, like, you know, you have your resources that you're going to collect and pay for something, and what were we playing? Oh, Parks! Parks is a lot like Splendor, in some ways. Um, you know, and, like, but because it's my kind of game, I don't feel as, like, ugh, it's just mainstream, you know, like, because it fits into my style of gaming. Whereas like these other games that I don't like, it's not that they're popular or mainstream or easy to get your hands on or whatever it is. It's that I don't like take that games and I don't like complicated take that games area control fighty games, you know, whether it's easy or hard, it does. It doesn't matter, but they're not my style of games. And, you know, I think what is a good game and what is a bad game? is extremely subjective based on your tasting games.
2: Exactly. And that's why I think that we don't really... Now, there are some games that are just plain horrible. Sure. But again, those are few and far between. Whereas like this, mm-hmm. why did this even get put in a box? Uh-huh. But so now Exploding Kittens created an entire company that now makes a bunch of different games. The opposite, though, is another concern that people have. Companies going out of business. So, and we see this, well... I see this fairly often because I listen to board game news and media that covers this kind of thing. But Fletcher, can you name a single game company that went out of business?
0: Um, let me think. Did did the company that make, uh, Keyford go out of business?
2: That's Fantasy Flight. Nope. They're still in business.
0: Okay. Then
2: no, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Kitty, what about you? Without looking at the chat.
1: Um... I don't know if I can name any off the top of my head that went out of business. I can name a lot that got bought by Asmodee.
2: Yep, that's <laughs> a, we're gonna get there in three more um, bullet points. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, there's aren't there a
0: lot of companies that got eaten up by Hasbro essentially?
2: Um, so Wizards of the Coast was bought by Hasbro, yeah. and Avalon Hill went with that. Avalon Hill is a, was a big. Actually, the, like the first hobbyist, big hobby gaming um, company in like the 80s and 90s. Um, so now you'll see a lot of Avalon Hill games are coming back because Hasbro is, owns that brand now. Um, so, yeah. So what I'm saying here is companies are going to go out of business. Most people in the hobby are never going to know that the company went out of business. Except for when my next bullet point comes in. Um, but I think that's okay. I think companies going out of business is fine. Not every company can succeed. You know, if you look at the restaurant industry, what it's like one out of 10 restaurants survive past the first year or something like that. Something crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hobby gaming, most hobby game companies because of Kickstarter, I think I can use this word most publish a single game and never publish another game. So that, and that's okay. We don't need every company to succeed. If a company comes on, they have a successful game. They're going to keep making that game. Now, Sometimes, though, and this is something that you would notice, we have games that lose ongoing support. So um, I'm going to use an example that everyone's heard of. Imagine Magic the Gathering suddenly stopped producing sets because Wizards of the Coast stopped making literally something like $3 billion a year um, and said, oh, we can't print Magic anymore. You would notice that, Right. Oh, mm-hmm. this game. Now, a lot of times this happens in a much smaller frame. Um uh, Collectible card games, this happens all the time. Like every collectible mm-hmm. card game that sprouts up basically goes away within the next three or four years, Um, except for a few that struggle all along. And we have Magic, Pokemon, and Yu-Gi-Oh! are the only ones that have stayed any significant length of time, like over a decade. Um, we mm-hmm. all want other games to exist longer, but who knows? Like Keyforge is a great example, Fletcher. You mentioned Keyforge. Fantasy Flight didn't go anywhere, but they did essentially cancel the game. So anyone who was playing Keyforge is like, oh, well the game's no longer being supported. And overnight the player base basically just evaporated. And that can be a concern. That's and that's something that I have concerns with. Um but only to a little bit because Keyforge went away. I was sad. And then I found other games to play. And that's just going to happen. No matter how much I love a game, it doesn't mean there's enough other people out there that love that game to have the company keep making stuff for it. And that's why a company makes more stuff for a game is because the demand's there. If a game goes out of print, it's not because they're trying to spite you. It's literally because not enough people are asking for them to keep printing it. So yeah, anyway, this one I answered first. But what do you think about games losing ongoing support
0: uh i mean it sucks right like <laughs> like KeyForge, especially if you're a fan of that game like whether the company goes out of business or whether they decide to drop support just like anything for you know software or anything else you know it's tough especially if you're a fan of it and you're currently you know using it it's never great news to hear
2: yeah well another game to um netrunner the fans just decided to pick it up and now there's like you can you can still play Netrunner, another FFG game that was canceled um due to IP and licensing issues. But um the fans just decided no, we like this game enough where we're just gonna keep making sets and, and keep and playing. that happens. Yeah. Uh, vampire the the masquerade. Um oh what is the name of the CCG? That also the same thing kind of happened. There's like jihad, something or other. I don't know. There's a like a fan based system that's run for that card game. Katie, what are your thoughts on games losing support?
1: I don't generally play games that need ongoing support, so it doesn't <laughs> really affect me that much. Yeah, and that's <laughs> a big
2: thing too, right? Like, you Not yeah. everyone plays these games. A lot of games, like, give me the base game. Maybe there's an expansion that comes out, and that's it. I just keep playing this game forever. I'm fine.
1: Yeah, like, uh, the only game that I sort of play now is you got me all of the Lord of the... Not all of the... You got me...
2: The, the starter the set for <laughs>
1: starter set for the Lord of the Rings card game and um you know if that's all I, I i did go out and buy myself some more stuff but like if it stopped coming out i would still keep and enjoy the stuff that i have it's not competitive so it doesn't bother me as much
2: yeah, yeah this this particular one really hits for the organized play competitive scenes where if the company's not actively sponsoring events, it makes a competitive game less interesting to certain levels of play. Anyone can still buy a deck of Keyforge and Keyforge is an exception. It is coming back because it's being bought. It was bought by another company and it's coming back to Gamefound, um, in a week and a half, actually. So Keyforge is coming back, but any of these games that have a competitive scene, if it's not that scene is not being sponsored by the company creating it, it, it doesn't drive as big a buzz to that competitive thing. I just ranted on Car Wars a few weeks back because, you know, Steve Jackson games isn't promoting this game. And to me, that's a bad thing because it doesn't, I don't have as many people I could play with because people just aren't paying attention to it. Um, but what do I do? Well, I don't play Car Wars as much and I play something else. Again, that's fine. It's sad. I could be annoyed with it, but I, I will find another game to play. Now, related to this, our games And this one, this one's crazy to me in a number of ways. And Fletcher, I'm super interested to hear your take on this one, um, because Kitty's take on it's going to be terrible. But, um, <laughs> Sick burn. Rude. I, I, I kid. Fletcher and I are app developers if you're due to the show. And this concern is games with apps are going to become unplayable. And people are concerned about this. They don't want to buy Mansions of Madness Second Edition because the app could go away, and then they wouldn't be able to play their game, um, or any other app-driven game. Uh, basically, anything by Lucky Duck is all app-driven. Fletcher, what are your thoughts on this?
0: Um, it's always a possibility with software down the line. So yes, like if you if you want to buy something and you want to be assured that you can play it in you know fifteen or twenty years. Without any compromises, then maybe using something that has a software component isn't the way to go. Unless you're going to like time capsule an iPad or an iPhone or you know some kind of device to run it, I would say on the whole though that it's probably not worth worrying about. Like you buy the game, you'll pl- you'll play it a number of times, and then if it's successful down the road, they'll update it or there'll be a new version or something else. Um, I don't find that personally, I don't think it's a huge issue, but I can see where someone's like, no, I paid for this game. I want to be able to play it in 25 years. Like, okay, yeah. well then,
2: <laughs> this is not what you want to do. <laughs> then don't buy this game. Kenny, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, I have two thoughts. Number one, it reminds me a little bit of the argument against a legacy game where it has a certain number of plays and then you're done. Yes. You know, like, if you're getting your, like, you know play per price whatever you know balance that is out of it you know just know that it might not be forever but you know if you played enough times you get your value out of it it'll be fine and then um the other thing is you know it might lead to some creative solutions from fans of okay well the app is you know officially gone but people who really loved this game you know Somebody like Chris went out there and made their own app and you can go use Chris's fan app to play it 25 years later. or um, And we've seen that happen in real life.
2: Like a lot of like VHS games and DVD games of the past Uh have been ported to YouTube videos and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, or somebody on BGG created a deck of cards that you can, you know, print your own deck of cards to run the game for you now, or something along those lines. You might see creative solutions. Um, There is something about the fans of board games that um, are very passionate and willing to do some weird work to make their hobby more fun for themselves and to share it with others that never ceases to amaze me.
2: Yeah. So. I would agree. If the game is popular enough, someone will come up with an alternate way of doing it. And I have seen game companies also say, look, if we ever drop support for the app, we will open source the code base so other people could pick it up. Um, which I think is a great, you know, for especially for a small company. It's like, okay, yeah, um XCOM, the board game, which is, you know, again, fantasy flight, but you know, we're just going to not support this anymore, but here's the source code for it. So, if somebody else wants to support it, by all means, it can become an open source project. And then you have people that can actually make it better. Um, Mansions of Madness 2nd edition. Imagine if you just open that up to user created content. You'd have an unlimited amount of play with the components that you have. My other thing for this one is what game can you keep playing for 25 years that doesn't, the components just don't start dissolving for you, right? <laughs> like,
0: I mean, a lot so, of games will hold up for 25 years of play.
1: Most games are made out of plastic now, Chris.
2: That's <laughs> true. And we're going to get to that one. That's later down on the hair. So um, to wrap up the whole company talk, another concern that you guys just brought up, or not necessarily a concern, but another thing that people can complain about, is companies getting bought up, typically by Day, um, which is also <laughs> held by a giant mega corporation. Um, what are your opinions on comp- like? mega board game companies which is kind of silly to say buying up all these smaller game companies
0: it's bound to happen as the you know as our hobby grows and it pulls more and more people in you know bigger and bigger companies will emerge from it whether it be like hasbro parker brothers you know whatever they'll snap up all of these smaller companies with newer interesting ideas with um, you know um, popular games and they'll buy them up and for either for the talent or the IP and then continue to expand on them just like, you know, any other industry really. Yeah. I don't necessarily think everything
1: in the world was already owned by three big companies. So
0: (laughs) I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Um, it, it, it can be bad in some ways. It can be good in other ways. You know, you have the capital behind new IP to like push, push IP forward to, you know, grow investment and, um, expand the the fan base for particular games, you know, that's good for the fans. Um, It can also shut down um, fans of other stuff. So I think it's both good and bad.
2: Yeah, my my take on this is congratulations to those companies that are getting bought. Yeah. You became big enough where someone said, hey, I want to buy your IP. And that's great for those particular companies. Also, like every other industry we mentioned, um, this happens in, the biggest disruptors come from the startups. They come from the ones that are on the fringe that are able to build a company. And a lot of the funding that comes from those types of companies are because people say, "Oh, this is a great idea. Maybe you can get big enough and then get bought. And, uh, and right. That's how venture capital works.
0: the yeah, mm-hmm. and the nice thing is at least with this industry, the barrier to entry is really low, right? We're not talking about like starting a new. Um, software platform, a new social media platform, a new OS, like the barrier to entry, that would be extraordinarily high. But to come up with a new game, like it's pretty low barrier to entry.
2: Yeah. And you crowdfund it. So that's where your venture capital comes from. But crowdfunding, they don't have an investment in it. So you still get to keep all of the profits as long as you are managing that appropriately.
1: Except to have a successful board game Kickstarter, you have to already have... Quite a bit of capital, as I have discussed.
2: You will, yes, but quite a bit of capital for a board game Kickstarter isn't still as not much a ton as, of money yeah, compared as anything to other else. stuff. Yeah,
1: but still, yeah.
2: So I mean, it's not. I'm a high school student with a paper route or part time job. I'm dating myself, but in any case, I'm probably not <laughs> going to kickstart a professional looking board game. But for you know ten or twenty thousand dollars, you can get a very nice looking prototype put together and run a very successful um, Kickstarter campaign. So uh, we'll, we can talk about that as an entire other topic if we ever want to pull that out of the out of the vault.
1: It's in the vault. <laughs> it
2: could be <laughs> in the vault. All right. So now we're going to get into sustainability. And I'm going to start it with the positive, and then we're going to go to the negative. I guess both of these are kind of negatives, but this one's more positive, I think. Um, games are pushing the upper limit of price and table space. So, yeah, what do you think, Fletcher?
0: I mean, some games are, sure, but other games are not. So, I don't see that as a problem. It's any? not like every it's not like every game you buy right now requires, you know, 12 square feet of table space to play. That's just not the case.
1: I think that in any hobby, there's always extremes, and that it is fun to talk about the extremes. And I have been, I don't know, how old is this podcast now? Five years? Six. <laughs> I have never bought one of these games. And I will never buy one of these games. And yet I still think that I am an avid board game enthusiast who puts money into the hobby and buy. But, like, you know, this is one of my biggest beliefs now that I've turned into a bit of a kook on is like the only power I have in this world is who I give my dollars to. And I will not give my dollars to these crazy games. And um, I am voting with my money against this trend a- and that's fine. But yeah. people are, and if it makes them happy and it's what they want to do, that's fine.
2: Yeah. And I think that's going to be the answer to a number of the next couple of bullet points. Um, <laughs> So it's mentioned, Miles mentions in chat, it's like, we love our large games. Um, we being a tiny micro group inside of the tiny micro group, which is the hobby gaming world. Foundations of Rome, a game that could be a $20 small box game, is instead a $200 full Calyx cube game. The gameplay itself is a handful of cards and some polyaminal tiles. But they took all those tiles and made them three-dimensional, large buildings. And everyone has a playset of those large buildings. As I said
0: before, it's literally the foundations of Rome.
2: (laughs) It's literally the foundations of Rome. It's giant. And could other people play this game and enjoy it without all of the bling? 100%. Yes. Would it sell more copies if it was cheaper? Maybe or maybe it would have just been completely overlooked. We don't know, you can't say, right? Mm-hmm. It it made a splash because it was so big and it also happens to be a really good game. So, I don't actually mind these giant games. I for one have bought dozens of them and two or three of them I've actually played. <laughs> I no longer buy these giant games because I know that I'm not going to get them to the table. It's just Didn't not Didn't you just worth buy
0: The Foundations of Rome?
2: Yes, but I played that one. And I will continue to play that one. <laughs> but actually, Foundations of Rome is small when we talk about this particular category. Like
1: I would say it's also, you know, from your description of it, not not like these games where it's like, oh, I need all 800 distinct plastic figurines, painted miniatures to represent each of my army of minions that act as one in this game
2: yes it's i mean Simon does a really good job at like being the poster child for this type of thing um Mm -hmm. i actually i mean i enjoy zombicide actually mansions of madness is i'm gonna pick on both mansions of madness and zombicide mansions of madness there's miniatures that come in that box i take all the miniatures and throw them into a bin and ignore them because every miniature has this little cardboard um stat thing that slides in underneath it, which gives you all the information about the monster and a nice art piece on it. I just use those. I get rid of all the miniatures because they just take up space and make it harder to get the game to the table. Zombicide, it's not a great game, but it doesn't have to be so many miniatures either. You can literally use cubes. Colored cubes for each of the different zombie types are way more playable than actually using... The zombies, because it's just a bunch of great plastic coming after you. You have to look at the molds to see which is who and whatever. So yes, some of these games are way bigger than they need to be, but that's okay because there's a whole lot more games that aren't, and you can kind of focus on those. So let's talk about this next one, which is very related. Games are using more and more paper and plastic, and that's bad for the environment. And game companies should stop doing this because, you know, we should be... As publishers, they should be more self, you know, should be more concerned about the environment than you know this giant gi- game on a table. Fletcher, thoughts on that? Should publishers be responsible for the environment?
0: Should they be responsible for what?
2: The environment, saving the world.
0: Um, I think we should all be responsible for the environment. So, um, I think on the one hand. I think, yes, they should. On the other hand, they might not think so, and we get to vote with our dollars. So, if you find that a company is uh, spilling their ink into your, the river, and that bothers you, then don't <laughs> buy games from them. If I'm pretty they, sure
2: they're not doing that, but yes, I would agree with that 100
0: <laughs> If they're throwing all their trash and leftover things, you know, just letting it blow away in the wind... Um, you know w- whatever the case may be and if this topic and if if something like this is important to you then like yeah i think i think so kitty kitty what are your thoughts
1: if there are two game companies producing extremely similar games for a similar price and one of them says for every game that is purchased we will plant a tree I'll buy the one that says they're planting a tree because I'm easily guilted and I love things that are greenwashed. Um, but you know, I don't. That's a whole know. separate problem,
0: but yes, I, yeah. I know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, I, I think that this comes down to, for me, it is important to me to know I'm going to enjoy a game and to make sure it is something that I'm going to use often and for a long time before I purchase it. Um, And that is the way I try to not overconsume. Yeah, And and that's, I think, my personal responsibility. And I I think um, that most of what you see from companies trying to be better is good. And I like companies that are trying to be mindful of this kind of thing. But also, I don't think, like, you know, board games are the sole contributor to the downfall of our environment.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to be a little... This this topic is controversial in general, mm-hmm. right? Yes, we all want to take care of the environment. No matter where you're at on the planet, it, it makes sense to not go and empty your motor oil into the local river. Like, <laughs> you're typically not going to do this. Um However, if you are a game publisher, and I'm just talking about game publishers, I'm not talking about capitalism or corporate America or corporate the world or anything (laughs) like that, just talking game publishers, they want to make a game that sells copies. And if people are more willing to spend money on games with lots of plastic in it, which has been shown time and time and time again, then that's what they have to make in order to make their game. Because otherwise they make something that is, you know, nothing but, you know, cardstock and cardboard chits and nobody buys their game. So they don't, They're nobody's playing their game because it just doesn't sell. And if you are conscientious, if you say, look, Simon just uses too much plastic, then don't buy any Simon games because that's what's going to change things. You have mm-hmm. to basically say, I refuse to buy this particular product because of how it's being made. Now, I will say that board game publishers are still conscientious. They want to do things that are as environmentally friendly as possible. Um, But it is, uh, you know, as mentioned, it's probably less than 1% of the board game industry. It's less than 0.0001%. The board game industry could completely disappear tomorrow. It would have no impact on the environment at all. That's how small the board game industry is in their environmental footprint compared to every other corporation and everything else we do. So yes, we should keep pushing for alternatives. We should say, let's not use um, oil-based plastics, let use uh, plant-based plastics. Because I think for games, we could do that. We could easily use plant-based plastics and it would it would be just fine. I think we should push for those kinds of things, but we also have to be aware that we're going to pay more for these alternative methods because these alternative methods are more expensive. So it's a tricky thing, but it's, it's really... It's not great for us to demand from the people that are trying to make things that we enjoy that they do it in a way that isn't economically feasible for them, but still give me everything I want. Like, it's it's just not fair for us to demand that. So I like what you're saying. Don't buy games you don't like the way that they're being manufactured. Don't play those games. Don't have anything to do with those games. Um, if you want, go to Twitter and make everyone feel bad about buying those games. But as long (laughs) as the money is there, asking for those games are gonna keep keep getting printed. Um so it's I don't and to bring back to what Fletcher said, I don't think it's on the publisher. I think it's on the consumer. I think the consumer needs to be the one that demands different and puts their money in that location.
1: Yeah. So conversely to Chris's if you don't agree with they're doing, don't give them your money. If you see someone who is doing something good, give them your money. Yeah. And encourage other people. Because that says as much. What is making money is what says something. It's not as much what's not making money. Like they it's both. You have to have both. So, you know, if you see something you like, support it with your dollars. That is where your power is.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's really what it comes down to. Um just let's like I say I don't think the game industry can have an effect on the environment. Um, they can't, also, it's, it's. there's no margins on games anyway, so it's even hard for Chris, them to lead.
1: A butterfly flapping its wings has impacts that we could never know. I'm not saying that the <laughs> board game industry is creating all of the problems in the world, but just, you know, like, thinking that you don't matter is a bad attitude to have.
2: Um, Your actions
1: matter, even, uh, you know, I. Just-
2: Again, I agree with you. I just think it's the consumer. Consciously, I think it's the consumer that needs to make the decision, and that's the important part. Um, Uh, Also, again, I'm very hopeful. I don't necessarily agree with that.
0: I mean, I think that I think (laughs) the consumer can drive the change, but I think it can also be, you know, on the publisher too to enact that change, saying like, you know, we as a company, we are going to do this, and Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's it. Like, we're not going to wait for our consumers to tell us otherwise.
1: I think that only makes sense, though, if the, comp- the way the company is doing that is not affecting the way the, the product is perceived by the consumer. Yeah. Like, if a company is like, oh, I'm going to make the same product, but we're going to make it, you know, more... Ethically sourced or less environmental impact. We're going to use renewable energy in our process. Those kinds of things um, to make the same quality and style of game. But if they're like, "Hey, we're going to start making the game bad," yeah.
0: Well, obviously, it we're it being
1: environmentally friendly. Then
0: it obviously, you know, it can't know, impact what the co- what the consumer uh, you know expects. Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah. here's here's an example project: um, Earthborn Rangers was a is a game that was kickstarted um raised four hundred fifty thousand dollars and their stretch goals were essentially the more stretch the more money we raise the more we can be sustainable and print in in particular areas of the country or the world so that we don't have to worry about shipping um like all the waste it's caused for shipping and essentially it is a sustainable project um i did not back this project because it was trying to save the environment. And I just don't feel the game should change my, save my environment. I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm kidding. I didn't back it because the game looks like crap, but, but they made a lot of money and I like the way they approach this where it's like, look, we want to be sustainable, but in order to do this, we need to make certain milestones amounts so that we can do this. And that was the stretch goal for their campaign. Now, I have not seen other campaigns do this. And I wanted to like the game, but just looking into it, it, it did not look fun or interesting to me at all. Um, I went back and forth on this one quite a bit. But I want to see this from companies. Hey, we want to make the game. We want to make it as environmentally friendly as possible. It's going to cost more. Show us that you can allow us to do this. And... I think that's a good compromise between the consumer and the publisher.
0: That's my Yeah. Opinion. Yeah, I mean it, it might have to start with, you know, the bigger publishers first that have more capital and more sway over where they print games, like you could see Wizards of the Coast saying, you know, eventually like maybe they'll start printing all of their, you know, paper stock on, you know, consumer recycled material. And in the in the beginning maybe it's only like 5%, but then they slowly ramp to 10, 15, 20. and you know, of maybe eventually they get to a hundred percent. I don't know. I'm making this up, but it's something that they could choose to do if they wanted to. Perhaps.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, and keep in mind too, most of these products are being printed in company in, in factories that are making all kinds of products from all over the place. Like not just gaming products. There's very few companies that only just make board games. There's a few, but most of them have all kinds of different, um, things. But the next one here, and actually John mentioned it in, in chat. Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't see the show notes is a complaint <laughs> that are, pe- people are making that's related to this is we're making too many games in China. Um, this can be, spun in so many ways, um, not the least of which is political. But ultimately, the China argument from an industry standpoint is if we're reliant on everything coming from one country, any effect that country has immediately affects the entire world all at one time. Um, we see this in a lot of like most in a lot of situations where most of something comes from one country or one area that area has a huge impact in the cost to produce things. Um, and we also know that certain countries don't have the same standards that other countries have. So making games in China... Over the last few years, especially, we found a number of reasons why this can be very bad. Um, Again, some of it political, some of it COVID, some of it just, you know, costs of production in China are going up and there's no diversification. Where else do we go? If China decides to double their costs for producing, you know, plastics and cardboard, the entire industry, our gaming industry and anyone just reliant on plastic and cardboard, guess what? Everyone all have to pay more. And that creates a global inflation issue. So diversifying where we make our games is a big thing. Now, there are companies that are starting up in many different places in Europe. Germany already has a bunch of them. Um, There's a few in the US. All of those are much more expensive than producing things in China right now because China just has this cheap labor um, resource. But even there, their labor prices or labor wages are rising. So I, I, I hope to see where we produce our games becoming more diversified because I just think that's better in general. But um but that's sorry. China didn't invade anywhere. I want my copies of Miniature Adventures three. Got it. Um but in any case so that's that's my uninformed take on China. I'm just gonna call it uninformed because um <laughs> it's better than I saying, have a lot of
1: feelings about this and we're yeah. not gonna get into it. This is preemptively going in
2: the vault. <laughs> yes. It's. It is not. It's not good to have all of our production in one basket. And right now, China's like ninety percent production, mm-hmm. and that is that needs to be fixed. Not to mention all the other things we can say about China.
0: I think our mm-hmm. podcast
2: might be censored there. I assume so, anyway. Really? <laughs> uh, pretty much everything Doesn't by even default exist is there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I think by default, just about everything is. So my time in China, um, if you have a non-China phone running on a cellular network, you can get access to whatever, or if you have a VPN. But if you're on normal China internet, then you're just blocked from everything. So it's, it's a very cut off from the rest of the world thing. Although I think most of the kids probably have VPNs that allow them to get past the firewall, but even those are being cracked down all the time. Anyway, let's go listen to a political podcast on China or an economics podcast on China or a China podcast on China. I would love to hear what they think of each other. (laughs) Or don't. It's all good. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So those were my responses on the things that to worry about for the gaming industry. Anything else that you guys worry about for the future of our industry?
1: Uh, I think you hit my big concerns.
2: uh, I don't think I worried about anything, really. (laughs) <laughs> Episode three. Well, neither
1: was so Chris. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think that I'm optimistic because I've seen things changing for the better in drastic steps in my lifetime. And the further you look back in time, the worse it gets. So I'm confident that the other direction is going to happen. People want to make the world a better place. They may disagree on how to do that, but people want to make it a better place. And... I see that. I see it all the time. We are getting better. And, you know, the more we talk about something, the more it becomes, you know, a realization that, oh, yes, this is the next thing we need to focus on. Uh, we can't change everything all at once, but we can keep making steps. And I think that we're going in that right direction. Also, this is my escapist hobby. I don't want to worry about saving the world while playing a board game. I think that's that's how I'm going to end it. I just, I, I just I just want to play games. All right. We have a new outro. Kitty, it's easier for you.
1: Tabletop Game Talk is a prime of the Dice Tower Network. You can be part of our live recordings Monday nights at 8.30 Central Time. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. It is also where you can join us and other listeners in a constant stream of online games on Board Game Arena. (laughs) The show notes have links if you need them. You can always go to tabletopgametalk.com for more information and to search our growing archive of episodes.
0: I mean, I don't know if constant stream is uh what you want to i don't know say there that makes me think of like Chris <laughs> Chris wrote it. i know i know i know Chris uh, wrote it but it's like,
2: i will reword that so it doesn't sound like urine um fletcher your turn <laughs> well,
0: to me i just think of like a fire hydrant like you're just opening up with the fire hydrant
2: well that's actually what i was going for so but yes
0: okay uh hosting hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, The Gift of Games, Sahara Wentworth, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Danita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Sully, Matthew Droke, Timothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keefe, Joe Punman, Leanne Verholst, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yanikowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yazzie, Token Fan Forever, Michael Finley, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero. David Radke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan C., Dale, Darren McClellan, David Garner, Tony Simpkins, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, Don Gilstrap, Glenn Connor, Eric Salander, Adrian Dong, Eric Huffman, Jason Ronnie, Justin Willard, Jerry Wong, Sean P. Kelly, Christy Keel, Monica Wichman, and Michael 27.
2: And thank you to everyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us, past, present, and future. If you'd like to go from future to present patron, links are in the show notes. Until next week... Keep playing games and having fun. So, when do we start our TGT tabletop politics talk spin off?
1: Mm, absolutely not. I never. don't think we do.
0: <laughs>
2: <sighs> That's fair. That's fair.